From the Beatles to Beyonce, music videos are important. Music videos can change culture. Music videos can make a song iconic. Music videos can be iconic. And I'll be talking to the people who make them. This is Videohead. Hey, my name is Daniel Ralston, and I'm a writer and music video director. Welcome to Videohead. Every week on the show, I'll be talking to music video directors about how they develop their style and how they work. I'll also be joined by comedians, musicians, and filmmakers to talk everything music video. On today's show, I'm talking to legendary music video director Jonas Ockerland. I hadn't noticed a music video in a while before Lady Gaga's telephone. It was a Russ Corman daydream of color. Gaga and Beyonce drove around in the pussy wagon from Kill Bill. It's a lot. It definitely makes a statement, and it's definitely a Jonas Ockerlund video. Jonas started out in a Swedish heavy metal band and ended up directing videos for Madonna, U2, Metallica, and Taylor Swift. His video for Madonna's Ray of Light won a Grammy and seven VMAs. His controversial video for the prodigy Smack My Bitch Up was banned for its depiction of domestic violence and drug use. His work gets noticed. He's a visionary director with a fast-paced, vibrant style. We talk about his first videos for Swedish metal bands, his long collaborative life with Madonna, and his work on Beyonce's Lemonade. So let's get to it. This is my interview with Jonas Ockerland. This is Videohead. You came up as a musician playing black metal and then got into directing videos later. Do you remember when you were a kid being drawn more to music or to film? I would definitely say music. I Mm. mean, for starters, music videos did not exist when I grew up. And actually, music videos kind of didn't even exist when I started to make music videos. It it kind of happened at at the same time. So uh, I I was definitely drawn more to to the music. I never really became like a real musician because it was... You know, it, was, it wasn't really a, a, a business at that time. It was mm-hmm. more like a dream. And then I discovered film editing, which was, you know, like, you know, th- th- it became like almost a blessing for me because it was so much more creative and it felt so much more natural than just banging the drums to actually mm-hmm. put images together with, with sound and music. So it's like three layers of creativity that came very natural to me. Uh-huh. Uh, so and I just like you know never played drums again pretty much. And you grew up outside of Stockholm, is that right? No, in in, in, in Stockholm, Stockholm in, right in in Stockholm. Yeah. Okay. Um, what was so you're when you're like a teenager, when you're like thirteen, fourteen. What's the city like at that point? Like, is it, is it helping to breed the things that you want to do, or do you feel like you're fighting against the current? Is there good art happening there at the time? No. Re- well, we were lucky because a lot of bands came and played Stockholm, but it was not very. It was not. It was a very small town compared to what it is today, and uh, you know, so it was it was a big town with a very with small town mentality. And you know, we didn't have any TV. We had two public television TV stations, and uh, we didn't really uh, we were not really connected to the to the bigger world. Mm-hmm. But through music and movies, I guess we kind of 
we we had a dream you know we saw it and mm-hmm. and um you know i knew early on that i that i wanted to be working in america and i knew early on that i wanted to work with film so it kind of came to me early uh through the stuff i saw you mm-hmm. know and it, but it wasn't it wasn't like a lot of filmmakers that had a camera when they were like six and they started uh-huh. to it wasn't like that it was more i didn't even know that it was a a, a real job mm-hmm. i didn't know that you could actually do it. it took me years before i before i realized that this is my job right so then you start playing in a metal band is that right we play i played in a, in a few different bands and uh-huh. uh, it was i was always like on the metal side of the spectrum right yeah. and is that candle mass video the first video that you directed yeah go to mtv.com to watch this video along with all the other music videos mentioned in this episode I had worked with editing and I worked as an assistant to to a director before that and then uh, we shot the Candlemas video yeah uh, which I, first of all it's a great video and everybody should watch it if they get a chance but I think it's so funny that even with that kind of music with what you're doing so early in your career like there's essentially like a dance sequence towards the end of that video <laughs> like which is so unexpected like a boy band yeah exactly do metal boy band <laughs> I was just I was watching it watching a bunch of your videos last night and when that happened I just had like the biggest smile on my face I couldn't yeah. stop it was just uh, a wonderful but you mentioned before that there weren't really I mean obviously like you know, there are promo clips that people made. You know, the Beatles had like paperback writer. Yeah, um, there's sure, obviously like sure. ABBA clips and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, 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 sure. So when there isn't a whole lot of influence, especially in the world of music that you're coming from, um, what did you look for when you started trying to make a music video? Like, do you remember having an influence on it? Or you just said, well, I sort of have this idea that it should be the band singing the song and then kind of try to tell a story also? Yeah, well, oh man, that's a tough question. I don't really know. I think we. Ca- I think it all came from just within. I don't really think we had any outside references. But, you know, there was back then we we looked at a lot of horror films. You know, we were like in that dark world and we uh-huh. we read those books and, you know, like all the Tolkien books and like all that stuff. So we were kind of like in that world. But then eventually, of course, I, st- I started to do commercials and commercials was we didn't even have commercial TV in Sweden back then. But uh, we, we, uh, we ca- there was a group of people that kind of knew that we were going to get commercial TV. So we started do commercials for Finland and Norway and I actually did commercials before I started to do music videos mm. so my main inspiration back then was big commercial directors like Joe Pitka and uh, Tony Kay and you know and Mondino and mm-hmm. Sean Paul Good was like my you know like everything he did I looked up to not comparing my Calamas video to anything that Sean Paul uh-huh. Good ever did <laughs> but but the, those were the guys that I looked up to and uh, I was very inspired with how they told stories in a short you know, you only have 30 seconds to a minute when you do a commercials and, you, and and with the help of editing, you can tell a big story in a short time mm-hmm. and touch people and, you know, grab the attention of, of an audience through editing and sound. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was, to me, like the big creative inspiration. And that's such a huge part of making music videos, too, is like you start to learn how to whittle down. Mm-hmm. the amount of information you have to get into a single frame or into a, a single section of the music video. You start to get very efficient at making that happen with a very small amount yeah. of time. Yeah. Uh, and then, so if you're playing in a metal band and in that sort of scene, I come from sort of a punk background. Mm-hmm. Um, and when people want to do things that are a little bit more commercial, there tends to be like a pushback from 
other people inside of that world? Were people in your world supportive of what you wanted to do? Like, I'm going to make a video and it's going to have a dance sequence in it. And all that. did you find that people were pushing back against you a little bit? Or did you feel um, like you had everybody's support? Not, well, back then, but back all, all the way back to the Candlemas era, there was people were just happy to see a camera and people were just happy to have somebody help you and, and shoot it. Right. There was no expectations to to have it shown in anywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, today, it's every, every everything you do is all about having as many people see it as possible. But right. back then, it wasn't really about that. You uh-huh. know, it was like we, we shot it because we wanted to, to have it and show it to our friends pretty much. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't really that pressure and, and, and there was no reference. It wasn't like we could say like this other band did this and it took them to a new level or whatever. We didn't have that. So no, not really. But a little later when I when I realized how much work it is to do music videos, I kind of became, not spoiled, but I became like very picky fast because like if I'm gonna put this much time and energy into doing music videos and nobody see it, uh, I didn't wanna do that. So I tried then to turn to whoever in Sweden at the time had an international audience. Right. So that, that it came to me pretty fast that it's too much hard work to just you know be seen by me and my friends. Is that how you hooked up with Roxette? Yeah, but and that time at, during that time, the Roxette was the the one band that had an international audience, and I was lucky enough to work with Marie Fredriksson early, mm-hmm. and she introduced me to Purr, and uh, together we we started to make uh, Roxette videos. Uh, yeah, you that's a band who you've worked with for a very long time. Yeah, we it ended up to be a much longer relationship than I could ever dream on back then uh, I was just happy to do one and I was happy to have it on MTV in America uh, mind you Europe, uh, MTV in Europe didn't exist back then mm-hmm. and uh, Roxette obviously they were big they were huge in America so right. that gave me a chance to be seen and then eventually when uh, MTV Europe started uh, the videos were all over the place and it I did a lot of Swedish bands other Swedish bands big acts uh, as well during mm-hmm. this time listen now Like the the run to you video that you did for them, it's sort sort of like a you're sort of out on tour with them, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, that was in Germany. Yeah, uh, was yeah. that was that a new experience for you? Like a tour of that size to be out on the road with a band, like trying to document some piece of what they're doing, trying to capture something about what it's like to be out on the road. It, it was actually 100% documentary style, and I guess that was kind of new to me. I mm-hmm. had a lot of friends in the music world, so for me to, uh, like I said, it was a lot of shows. We worked as roadies, we worked with bands, we toured with bands, you know, I followed bands as a fan and I did, you know, so the, the life on the road was not, was not uh, new for me, mm-hmm. but uh, that was a little different. It was like an all access thing, you know, we were in Marie's hotel room when she woke up in the morning and, you know, we mm-hmm. were like there. Is that something that feels natural to you to, to get into somebody's intimate space like that? Was that something you had to learn how to do? Uh, not back then. I mm-hmm. mean, now it is. It's now. It's so much about figuring people out and trying to figure out what they want. And and uh, you know, most of the time, it's not about me and it's not about what I think. It's always like me trying to figure out what people need and what they want to do. Are there signs that you get from people the first time you meet with them, where you say like, "I feel like this is going to be a good collaboration" or "This is somebody I can work with"? No. No. <laughs> no. I, actually opposite. It's actually it's actually funny how well now when I've been around a little longer I kind of learn 
you know very often that when it's an instant love affair it's it usually doesn't last but when it's like you know when you when you keep an arm length distance and it grow together that's when you get the long relationships In the mid-90s, you start making videos that a lot of people are starting to see. Like, mm. uh, obviously, you had had other videos that had done well, but in the mid-90s, you sort of become a kind of an iconic music video director. You make a bunch of uh, videos. The first video of yours that I remember seeing regularly was the one that you did for Moby, mm -hmm. the, um, the James Bond theme video where you're, he almost dies mm. yeah. <laughs> a bunch of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, this cars falling and crashing all over the place. That seemed like a step. To, obviously, the project probably dictated that it was going to be more of like an action type video. Mm -hmm. um, do you remember what your prep was like for that video, doing something that had a lot of stunts and those kinds of things in it? Uh, well, for starters, we uh, we shot we shot it in Stockholm. Uh, which was like a little unusual back then to bring a, an, an American job to to Sweden like that. It was people didn't do that. So, uh, and then we were also not dictated, but we were we had a few guidelines from uh, the Broccoli family and mm -hmm. the James Bond uh, family. They actually flew me and my DP, I think, to to London to watch the movie. Uh, which was kind of cool, you know, to see it. And yeah. so we were inspired, and I and I could pick a few clips that I that I wanted to incorporate into the story. So, with that in mind, I kind of wrote this the story. Uh, obviously, it was like a big, it was kind of a big shoot for us, you mm -hmm. know. And but you know, back then in Stockholm, people thought it was so fun just to see a camera. Everybody was helpful, and everybody was just like you know right. involved, and you know. So, but it was kind of new, and um, but the, the but the video that really took me to to Moby's attention was two things. There was a uh, Per Gessler from Roxette did a solo album and we had one of the videos in that called Kicks that he that Moby really liked. And then I did a short film called The Hidden mm -hmm. that spread like all over the I, I don't really know how it spread, but people saw it everywhere. Um, hmm. People were getting like VHS copies of yeah, it? Or, yeah, I mean, it was like everywhere. It wasn't really on TV. It was like in a few festivals. It was a dance film. So a, a few people saw it in festivals, but it just spread and a lot of people liked it. Hmm. So that got, uh, I got Mobis' attention through those two jobs. And then that's the same year that you directed the Smack My Bitch Up video for Prodigy? It kind of happened It kind of happened at the same time. And, mm -hmm. and Liam in, uh, in Prodigy, he had also seen that uh, Kicks video that I did with Purr. Mm -hmm. And uh, I even went to Liam's house in Essex to talk about what we were going to do. And he, uh, he showed the rest of the band my Kicks video, but he didn't like the song, so he played it on mute, <laughs> <laughs> which was kind of cool. And... Uh, and yeah, so we ended up with Progeny. When you're making that video, you obviously, I'm sure, don't have a sense that it's going to turn into something that gets banned and turns into this big thing that ultimately ends up working certainly in the band's favor, and I guess you could probably argue to your favor as well. That video itself has been copied so many times since then. Did you have a sense when you were making it that you were doing something very original, that it was like a video, no, like not like any video that had ever been made before? 
Uh, no, not at all. I mean, uh, there was there was uh, my expectations were kind of low, and I could never, you know, dream of, uh, you know, the the effect and and how what that video took, where it took me in my life. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of easy when you have a long career like I do to kind of like point out the few jobs that took you to the next level. And obviously, Smack My Bitch Up was one of those. You know, and uh, that video was almost not supposed to happen. It was just a series of coincidences that made that video happen. For starters, I, I didn't write a, a good idea for it. I just couldn't figure it out. It took me forever to figure it out, so I actually passed on it. Okay. And I was like, oh shit, that was my two minutes in of, 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 a, of a chance to work in England, because I really wanted to work in England. Right, and they were sort of on the rise at the time. Oh too. man, yeah. they were the biggest thing, I, yeah. and I really liked them too, mm -hmm. you know, so. So I guess it scared me a little bit. And then I had this night in uh, Copenhagen with my friend when we were out partying and I woke up with like the biggest hangover ever. And I, the only thing I could remember was my foot kicking in the door uh, in a bathroom stall uh, where I thought my friend was, but there was some other guy. And that, uh, before I even got out of bed, I had the idea of making a, a video like that. Right, a POV sort of. Of, of mm -hmm. my party night in Copenhagen, pretty mm -hmm. much. And then, based on the title of the song, I we, I added a twist at the end. So it was right. a very simple story, a very simple idea. It was like half a page treatment, no pictures, mm -hmm. no references, like going through the facts. And then I shot it, and I... I was very ambitious back then, and I, uh, well, I still am, but I was very <laughs> ambitious in my preparation, so I actually shot stills of the whole video in Stockholm. Uh, I had everything figured out. So I had just signed with this company in England, and they, uh, to help me produce this, I didn't have any representation, I never mm -hmm. shot in England, so, and when I come to, to the production office, the big guy that owned the company, he called me into his room, and he had the, my boards there with like boobs and blood, and like all the party and all this stuff. And he's like, he's literally sitting like, you cannot shoot this, you cannot shoot that. So already before he got out, he got mm -hmm. censored from my own people. Mm -hmm. So, and I was like, oh, fuck it. I don't, you know, I'm just going to do it. So, and of course the guy showed up at the shoot, right? As we're like hitting somebody in the head or like doing something stupid. And the guy shows up. When I finally got to the edit, the, the band was really stressed to get an early edit. And I knew that this was going to take time i mean the shoot itself was incredible it was like we shot the whole thing in one night without permits or anything on a big 35 millimeter camera that was taped onto my dp crazy and my dp had shaved his arms and legs because he was supposed to be a woman and he was like with this gigantic camera running around in london without any permits it was it was nasty it was a tough shoot at the end at the end of the shoot i was blocking the door and while he was in bed with the two girls doing the sex ending climax scene, and I was like blocking the door for the owners of the house to throwing us out. We're calling the police or you're out of here. And I, and I was like just screaming, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. And we finished it like in the last minute. And then when I got to the edit, uh, the band wanted it really quick, which uh, never was a good idea. It's still not a good idea. Uh, a lot of people haven't understand what a big difference it is to have time in the edit. Yes. Uh, I still fight with that on my on every job I do, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I did a mistake of sending them. This is pre-internet, so I sent them a VHS tape by by a cur with a courier from from Sweden to 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 London, and I got uh, back a few days later. I got a fax through my fax that I still have framed on my wall at home that says, "We uh, we saw the video. We don't like it. We're never going to use it. We're not going to pay for it. Stop working on it." done 
and I was like, oh man, shit, that's that that was really like my one chance to work in mm -hmm. England and do something different. So, but without the time pressure and without a client around or an artist around, I decided that I believe in this. I'm going to finish it anyway. I talked to Post House and especially my sound guy back then into let's finish it. And back then to do edits in the music and add sound effects was that something you didn't do. I mean, the artists were so protected by it with their mm -hmm. music. And just to put sound effects on top of it or change the, the, the build-up of the song, it's like you don't do that. But I did with this, with thinking that, you know, the band is not going to like this anyway. I'm just going to do my thing. So that's when I bombarded it with, like, all these sound effects and started to mess around with the, with the song and all that. Mm. So I finished it. And then to my liking and I was like and then, all right this is cool and then I send Liam because I had his address from Essex I sent him a VHS tape saying with a note saying that you know this is what I meant you know if you have time you know look at it whatever mm -hmm. and then it took kind of a long time you know it took like a couple of weeks and he called me and I can hear my video in the background of the phone when he's calling me and the story was that it, it ended up in a pile of VHS tapes next to the TV like like we all had back then. And it worked itself up to the top and his girlfriend apparently put it in and he was in a room next door and he heard somebody messed with my song. What's this? And that's how he actually walked in and saw it. And from that day, he called me and said, I'm so sorry, we love it, we want to use it. And then the following weekend, they started their tour with a big screen showing the video. Whoa. So there was, there was so many reasons for that video to not be around mm -hmm. um, and their initial reaction was essentially just a result of them rushing you well it was it was it was it was a result of compromise and censorship and mm -hmm. them rushing I, I mean i mean they were pretty ballsy they were like a great band that you know they were punk rockers basically they didn't right. they didn't really care but but then later of course when the video finally came out we had the other big obstacle which was like the american censorship and the right. censorship around the world you know mm -hmm. so it was basically never shown it was like kurt loader had this like warning speech and showed it once on uh -huh. tv hi i'm kurt loader mtv is about to air a video that some people are not going to want to see it depicts a violent and chaotic night world fueled by drugs and alcohol and sexual aggression it is relentlessly lurid and contains full frontal nudity if this sounds like something you'd rather miss please tune out now the video as you may have heard is for the new prodigy single smack my bitch up the title of which has already been condemned by the national organization for women the video will surely strike some people as even more depraved but like the movie Train Spotting, let's say, the clip is more than just the sum of the sleaze it portrays. It captures the crude, propulsive power of sleaze in a technically arresting way. It deserves to be seen, it'll certainly be discussed, and now here it is. Smack my bitch up. Uh, but in a weird way, people saw it anyways. It was like, you know, I, I met so many people that seen it that I never really bothered to ask how they saw it because it, it was never on TV. You yeah. Know? Now, when they have to make different versions for different countries, are you involved in that process or is somebody chopping it up in that? Well, usually I am. And back then I was for sure. Mm -hmm. But uh, there is actually two versions of, mm -hmm. uh, of uh, Smack My Bitch Up. But, uh, yeah, and I did both of them. But nowadays, like, you know, you have such a big spread on your video. So mm -hmm. you never know if, if somebody censor it or cut it and make it short or whatever. You don't know. It's mm -hmm. out of your control, basically. Uh, and they, of course, were on Maverick. Records. They they were not when not we did it, but okay. that, uh, well, thanks to Guy uh, thanks to Guy Osier who saw the video and signed the band to America, mm -hmm. uh, 
I think it was a mix of Firestarter and my video that made him, you know, uh, signed to Maverick. Right. And that's how Madonna saw the video too. Who you have collaborated with many times yeah. in your life. Yeah. Uh, what was the first video that you did with her? Was that the Ray of Light video? That was Ray of Light, right. yeah. Which, you know, won a million VMAs yeah, and yeah, yeah. all that yeah. stuff. And that's a video you were using green screen at that point for that? Yeah, I mean, I was never I was never a technical director. Uh -huh. I w I'm like very old school, like mm -hmm. shooting a lot of coverage and figuring stuff out in the edit. That's mm -hmm. kind of like been my thing. But for that idea, it was, again, a very simple idea. Mm -hmm. And I, I almost didn't do that video either because I couldn't figure out the idea. I think I wrote her like four or five ideas that she didn't like at all. And I thought, mm -hmm. it's it's over. It's not going to happen. And then this really simple idea, which basically was like a day in life, uh, fast forward. Of the world, basically. Yeah, of yeah. the world. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, it was a very simple idea. And she liked it a lot. Mm -hmm. And it, this, this, this was hard to show references and tests and stuff. So the first thing I did was I shot a few tests in Sweden, in Stockholm. Uh, with these low-speed cameras, you know, mm -hmm. um, just to figure out how technically to do it. And I showed her this, this footage, and she really liked it. And it worked really well with the song. It and really does. I watched it a couple times yesterday, and it's a very, like you said, it's a very simple concept, but it really does. And it really has a sense of motion forward. I feel like yeah. the song builds and the video builds uh, yeah. in parallel very well together. Yeah. Um, I get I get that a lot with Smack My Bitch Up too. People mm -hmm. think that that's a one taker. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh man, it's how did you do that? Yeah, they it's think like, it's the Goodfellas yeah, shot. Yeah, yeah, but it's you know, it's like that video has like five hundred edits or something. Yeah, it's so, but it's but it makes it. it that's what a good edit is, really. When you don't really notice the edits and mm -hmm. you just it becomes a ride. Mm -hmm. But Ray of Light was, uh, it was it was such a long. It was we were a small crew, but it was a long shoot because I wanted to shoot in different places and capture different moments mm -hmm. and it took forever so we basically put up the camera we put up a shot and then we were just hanging around for 20 minutes or mm -hmm. 40 minutes or whatever to get the shot right waiting so for we the were one car crew with a big ass old 35 mil camera and then when we came to the madonna part it's like originally i wanted to drag her around to all these locations and have her in those locations but she was in the middle of everything as always. So we ended up shooting actually across the street from where we are now at this stage here, uh, uh, her green screen. Hmm. Um, and then we incorporated the clouds and like all those things. And we're here on the Paramount lot for listeners at yeah. home. Do you have, have you ever had a video that you felt very, very strongly about the concept? You felt very, very secure in the treatment. And then you ended up making a video that was very different from where you started? Um, yes and no, not really, to be honest, mm -hmm. but the end result could often be different from what you expect, mm -hmm. but, uh, the basic idea and how I see it in my head is usually done before, but, and, and with that, I mean that sometimes, or some, sometimes when something feels perfect and this is a home run, this, this is going to be the best ever. It doesn't necessarily have to become that. And then the next time it's like, okay, this is like a mediocre half-assed job. And then it becomes like the best ever. So it's very hard to know. And to be honest, I can say this now after all these years, when I came back to Sweden with Ray of Light, I thought it was so weak. I thought, I thought 
my friends were gonna laugh at me. You go to America, you work with the biggest artists, and this is what you come back with. You know, it was so, it was too simple. I even lied. I said I don't have a copy with me. I had, but I didn't, because I didn't want to show it to them. Because it felt too simple. What I didn't know back then, that I learned through the years, is that there's there's another force beyond your actual video that is way bigger, bigger than you, that you can have a control, and that's timing. You know, the fact that Madonna came from where she was and became what she, what, what she became with Rayolite and where she was going, I couldn't control that. And together with William Orbit and Mario Testino and the videos we did, that that timing and what, what was going on in the rest of the world, it that was just perfect timing. And that that was not part of my plan, you know. Uh, I couldn't you know, I couldn't I couldn't think of, of all those things, you know. And when we did American Life with Madonna, the timing was could not be worse. We right. Did, so you make a video the American Life video, which again courts controversy, mm. and this is after doing a few things with Madonna, and then the American Life video, uh, it's an anti-war video. It, the original version has a grenade being thrown at thrown at George W. Bush, right? Right. Uh, uh, and did that ever even air on MTV or any of it, the? It, I don't know if it aired on MTV. Maybe it did later. MTV mm. loves those lists of stuff that they didn't want to show. Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> and they come pretty fast. You know, first they cannot show them, and then they do a list of the stuff they can't show, which is kind of fun for me because uh-huh. I always end up on the list. <laughs> uh, but that was April two thousand three. So ah, okay. we're about to go into the war with Iraq. Like literally the same week. Yeah. Like it was, I, the timing could not be worse. And you're probably making that video. It, it's a big budget video. Mm-hmm. Um, you're putting all of these resources into it. You probably put months of your life into making it. And then all of a sudden. With all the good, with all the best of attentions too from her, mm-hmm. you know. Absolutely. Uh, which course. now in retrospect looks, makes her look like a genius. Yeah. Of course. But the timing uh, could not be worse. And the funny thing is I was traveling between Europe and, um, and America. Mm-hmm. And when I was here, I totally understood it. I was like, okay, there's no way we can release this video. The timing could not be worse. And when I, when I was in Europe, it's like, why not? It's perfect. It's now you should release uh-huh. it. You know, but, but again, we were like, that decision was probably based on fear. You know, we were afraid of what was gonna, what the effect was gonna be. And it just felt wrong to have parents sending their kids to war and, and releasing this video. So she, she, I was against it, but she, uh, she was right as she's always right. So <laughs> what can I say? Uh, and then you made a second version of the video? Yeah, we were like, what are we gonna do? The song still needs to be released. So we had this uh, pretty much just a couple of takes of her uh, in front of these different flags. So uh-huh. that became like the official version back then. You, you seem to oftentimes work with very strong women artists. Mm-hmm. Uh, Madonna, of course, you work with Lady Gaga. Mm. Um, and I was curious what the the telephone sort of short film mm. that you did with her that video feels to me like a full realization of like a style mm. that feels like every single detail in it like sp- speaks to a purpose has a um, a very clear vision behind it. What was the collaborative process like working on that specific video? Well, th- there's a lot to say about that because that the, the uh, the uh, I was to be honest I was r- just about to give up on music videos uh, 
there, there, there's been uh, 30 years. It's uh, it, there's I've gone through all kind of different eras in the music videos. When it started, it was new, it was creative, and it was when MTV exploded. It was like the brief was always like make something's never been done before, do something you know, you know, just go to town with it, and then uh, TRL the show changed it again. Today on TRL, that's right, the kids take over the show. Andrew, you're in charge of camera one. Can you handle that? All right, this is Nicole. Nicole, you're going to be our director. You can't screw that up. That's very important. TRL starts right now. The labels were like, we want whatever's on top of our list. It became like boring. It's like, that's it. We need that. Only what's number one. There was no creativity. And then, of course, uh, internet exploded. Music business fell apart. There was no need for music videos. It was just like, we were just about to give up on it. And then Lady Gaga showed up. She really, from at least from my perspective, and I think for a lot of other artists too, changed how we look upon music videos and how we can use music videos and not only to sell albums because nobody sells albums anyways but to actually create a profile for an artist um so for me m making uh, meeting lady gaga and starting to work with her was it was like just like an, a fuel injection by itself by meeting her mm -hmm. and the timing and having that type of ambition level when the rest of the world was just giving up on it right you know so so with that i came in with fresh new energy mm -hmm. and i just like wanted to use every tool in the box to make something different and and break the format that mtv had dictated for so long it's right. like i don't care we can make it long we can do this we can do that no censorship let's just do it and gaga was the kind of artist who wanted it right she encouraged encouraged it and so we worked together on it and we figured it out uh, so to me it was uh, uh yeah like i said i was just about to give up you know and and then we started to work on the ideas and you know she have too many you know she she always did you know she has too many so you have to filter a lot and, f and try to try to uh, translate what comes out of her mouth and brain mm -hmm. into rea to to a realistic schedule and, and all that you know it's <laughs> a good problem to have sometimes though i know it's yeah. great it's great and it reminded me of how i i always worked with madonna too because madonna mm -hmm. it's always like taking bringing the best out of me mm -hmm. you know so yes i worked with a lot of strong women and they made me very strong you know mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, i and i love that and mm -hmm. i still do that and a lot yeah, and there must be something about your style that makes that work, too. So here's a good example. So the telephone video is essentially pa like... Paparazzi was the first, was was the first, first one. Right. And that even has elements of like, there's kind of performance art elements to it and sort yeah. of visual elements to it. So with both of those, where did it start? Like, did you write a treatment for the paparazzi video? Yeah. And, and, then, yeah. and it was essentially... Uh, well, she, she, like I said, she has a lot to say. And she gave me a lot of guideline, gu guidelines. But yes, I did write. It was more of a script, actually, than a treatment. Mm -hmm. uh, because we, uh, we had a, this idea to, to make this story. And parts of it was, uh, uh, was based on, uh, on the, the lyrics and things she had in her head. But she gave me the story and I wrote it. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, then, and then we worked it out together. Do you feel sort of liberated by that when somebody else is giving you the seed of the idea and then you're sort of expanding on it? Yes and no. It depends. I mean, it's it's to be given a blank, a completely blank 
surface is hard. It's really hard. Here's a song, do whatever you want. I have a hard time. If somebody gives me a seed of an idea, if somebody just say, uh, you know, black and white, or, mm -hmm. you know, uh, 60s, or, <laughs> you know, exterior, or whatever, there's one little seed that often uh, helps me a lot. But when it's just completely blank, it's mm -hmm. hard. But then there's uh, the other version, though, when you get too much, when you get like, here's the idea, shoot it. Mm -hmm. And that's usually not, uh, I, I don't want to sound like like I don't do that too, but it's, <laughs> it's usually not what I do. I usually come in when, when an artist want to do something slightly different than they usually do. You know, if they want like their average type of mm -hmm. video, they usually don't call me. Right. So I, my thing has always been to kind of take people a little bit outside what they usually do, mm -hmm. like out of the comfort zone, just like a little bit different, you know? So uh, with that said, sometimes I do get an idea delivered to me and I can work on it or change it or pass on mm -hmm. it. It's, it's, it's different. But usually I get seed and then, uh, and, and, but I, am, I do collaborate. I always talk to the artists a lot and I always figure it out together. Mm -hmm. The worst thing on the planet for me, a nightmare would be to have an artist on set not knowing what we're doing and be surprised. I never mm -hmm. surprise anybody on set. The, and one, the reason I ask you about the, I'm asking you about the treatments and from treatment to execution is because I like the idea of somebody at home. First of all, when I directed my first music video, I went to a band I liked and said, I have an idea. I'm going to make this if you guys will let me. I'll pay for it. Like, they, they were just a little... That's punk. an offer nobody can refuse. They were just a punk uh, punk band from New York right. who had, you know, a small following. And they said, yeah, sure, <laughs> why not? It cost me about 400 bucks. Okay. You know, I made it uh, out of my own pocket. And I just like the idea that somebody could listen to this and go, come away from this saying, like, mm -hmm. it really doesn't take that much more than an idea and the will to make it happen. Right. Like that really is how you start to yeah. do this. As a I guess job. that's how I did Candleman, the Candleman's video yeah. too, you know? And do you, if we could take it back there for a second, do you remember trying to find the, did you have a camera? Did you have to find somebody to operate a camera for you? Do you? Uh, no, we, I had uh, a camera. Uh -huh. uh, I, like I said, I had, I worked at a production company. Mm -hmm. So I, I borrowed a camera from there. Uh-huh. Uh, but you know the technology was horrible back then compared to what you do today mm -hmm. and of course that video was shot on video uh -huh. which I didn't shoot any video ever again I think because mm -hmm. I was a film guy up till only a few years ago when I started to shoot uh, digital yes. but uh, that was the one time you know and it was a zero budget thing as well so do you still shoot on film now ever or you all it, it happens not as often as i want actually but mm -hmm. we shot uh, lemonade uh, uh be all the beyonce stuff was shot on 16 millimeter film okay yeah and of course that's something i wanted to talk to you about obviously uh was the telephone video the first time that you worked with her uh, with with Beyonce, yeah, yeah, her yeah, involvement with that, yeah. and then from then you directed a, a, a number of videos for her, yeah, and you worked on Lemonade, of course, yeah. Uh, I'm also interested to uh, talk to you about the uh, on the run tour video, yeah, step, yeah, yeah, which for HBO, yeah, um, which seems different because obviously it's it's a concert film, but also you have a TV network involved in making that. Mm. Was that kind of an outlier project compared to other work that you've done? Was it a different experience making that? Well, co concert films uh, period has been uh, something that I've been against because it's such a beast of a work. And the thing is, I my take on concert films has always been 
I, I'm not going to compromise on the quality just because it's long and big. You know, so if you want me to do your concert film, I need a lot of cameras and I need a lot of edit time. Because mm -hmm. I want to have the same precision as I have on my music videos. Mm -hmm. Which means, you could, I mean, think about that. Translate that, you know, the work you put into three or four minutes yeah. into like two and a half hours. Yeah. Two, two twenty, mm -hmm. two hours. Uh, you know, so it's been tough. And I, the, I did two concert films with Madonna. Mm -hmm. And... I did one with uh, a band that I worked with for many years called Rammstein. Mm -hmm. And I've only done a handful of these concert films because they are so hard and it's very few artists that allow you to put that much energy into their concert film. The easy thing is to just roll in the bus, put up the cameras and do what I call like the Eurovision Song Contest mm -hmm. version of it when the cameras are moving. It's done that you cut it in a bus and it's done. You know, but the way I do it, it's I shoot it over two nights. I shoot, I would like to shoot a dress rehearsal to get the close-ups that you cannot get. Mm -hmm. And then I roll all the cameras and then I edit like I would on a, on a music video. Which, and you can imagine then like 50 cameras, two nights and a dress rehearsal for a two and a half hour show. You can imagine the amount of footage that you end it's up with. Unreal. It seems like an overwhelming amount of work. Just, it is, and that's yeah. it's killing me. It's driving me crazy, and it's and it's hard to reach. Uh, it's hard to reach that perfection that I want. Mm -hmm. But on the ones I've done, uh, and the last one we did with Taylor Swift, I feel like we we got it. We we came that far, and it is different. It isn't your average. Uh, it it the the problem is to to shoot a concert. It's basically like shooting fireworks. It's like, you you know, you can't really sh film fireworks. You have to be there and see it. So in order to make a concert interesting on a small screen, or if you're lucky, you have a big screen at home, but very often uh, your computer, mm -hmm. you have to use every like muscle and tool to make that impression work out. Because you can't just shoot it. It's boring. It's, mm -hmm. it, the, you, the, the audience get bored in a minute. Yeah. So... That's the reason why I want to do it like mm -hmm. this. And I feel like with the concert films I've done, the Rammstein concert film that's coming out now this fall is going to be amazing. It's like, and they're very theatrical. They have costume changes and pyros and all that. So it's a lot for me to build on when I mm -hmm. shoot, shoot it. But to see it live, it's, it's, it's an amazing experience. But seeing this film is another amazing experience. It's not live, but it's an amazing film. Mm -hmm. So that's always been my approach, and um, and that was the approach when we shot uh, the the Beyonce on the run. Mm -hmm. the The difference with that was, and that was a new challenge for me, was that HBO wanted to air it uh, quick, like a week. Yeah, because yeah. my thing is like, okay, I need fifty cameras, I need the dress rehearsal, and I need six months of editing. And they were like, you got it all except you got six days to edit it. And I was like, okay. Because they wanted to feel like a tour stop, like they were still out on tour and they yeah. would see it right away. Yeah. Uh -huh. So and and not only that, it was like billboards all over America promoting it. <laughs> so it's like okay, there's no choice. And I, so I did it uh, in a way I never done it before. I uh -huh. put up an army of editors. Uh, okay. We didn't sleep for. So if you do the math, if you have like 20 editors and you do for six. 24 hour days uh -huh. you can do the math you know you you pretty much get like three months of editing but it was it was brutal it was brutal to get it done do you remember were there things that you wanted to do that you just didn't have time for uh to be honest no mm -hmm. i think we reached the level of perfection that i expected 
and of course Beyonce and Jay was was happy with it. That's that means everything to me. You know? The last thing I wanted to ask you about was, of course, Lemonade. This is an interesting thing because I'm sure most projects you work on, you go out and get your people, you work with who you want to work with, you need to get new people for certain aspects of it. But now, as a director, you've also been brought into this like level of secrecy, mm. where it's like nobody can know about this. Mm. We're keeping this very quiet. Uh, does that affect your work at all, or do you can you kind of just operate in a vi- vacuum and do what you want to do, and you're not really talking to people about things like that anyway? It's no difference for mm-hmm. me. It's no difference. I never ask any questions. I don't want to know. Mm-hmm. I just I'm there to do my thing, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And it's always been like that. Pre-internet was the same thing. You know, I never showed people. I never talked about stuff until it was out and done. You know, and I my approach have always been the same. And I'm proud to say that I never have any leakage on my edits, even though there's so many people involved. And and you know, we work with high-profile artists. You know, so to me, it's it's no difference. You know, the first time uh, when we did last on the last album when we did the, the Beyonce uh, Beyonce stuff, I was surprised when I heard that she. I knew that there was other videos going on. You know, you kind of know what's going on in the business a little bit. Sure. So I knew there was other, but I didn't. I didn't really ask. So I found out today the they released it that they've done uh, like twenty-two videos. I think they did on the last one. Mm-hmm. So with Lemonade, I kind of knew. I saw, right. I saw in her when I came to her. I saw board, and I saw. I kind of suspect, but I, mm-hmm. I didn't ask. I don't want to know, you know. So my part is what I care about, you know. Mm-hmm. And when it came out, like the credits sort of just had it listed as being by a bunch of directors, mm-hmm. sort of the different the way that it sort of flowed together. Did you know what the pieces around what you were doing would be? Did you have a sense of the overall the overall arc of the storyline of the completed video? Or were you just focusing in on the one section that you were doing? A little bit of both. Because mm-hmm. when, once I get to the edit, we had to, uh, we had to put them together. So, and Todd, who's like the creative director that, that was handling the, the bigger picture of it, mm-hmm. he was involved and he showed me pieces. And then, of course, we had to put it together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there, there was the part when she jumped off the building and then she landed in the water. So I, we had to do that physical edit and we had to have the same wardrobe and like all those uh-huh. things. So there was links uh, to put it together, yes. Do you mind if I ask? I'm going to ask you a couple of random questions, mm-hmm. uh, if you don't mind, to finish up. Do you believe in magic? Yeah, I, I believe in magic. I I I know about magic. You do? <laughs> no, I I yeah, I believe in magic. Of course, of course. Uh, do you believe in astrology? Not really. Not really. Not really. Um, well, I I answered that a little bit too quick. Maybe I do a little bit. Okay. Uh, I believe in like different energies and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, when you're out in an unfamiliar place by yourself. Mm-hmm. Are you the kind of person who would talk to a stranger or you generally keep to yourself and observe what's going on around you? Uh, not, not talk. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a very strong introvert uh, personality. You said that you do believe in magic. Have you ever had anything happen to you? Have you ever had any sort of paranormal experience in your life or something that you can't explain happen? Well, I live in Los Angeles where there's a lot of ghosts and I have a lot of ghosts in my house. Mm-hmm. So yeah, sure. How do they interact with you in your daily life? Uh, not anymore, but they've been around a lot, especially in this house we're in. And plus, I stayed at the Chateau Mormont for years where there's uh-huh. a lot of ghosts. But in the house, uh, oh, man, I'm not going to start. People are going to think I'm crazy if I start <laughs> to tell you these stories. Well, I would uh, love to hear them off mic. But uh, Jonas, thank you very much for joining us on okay, the great. podcast. Thank All you. Right. Thank you. 
There you have it. That was my conversation with Jonas Ockerland. I'm Daniel Ralston, at Daniel Ralston on Twitter. Thanks for listening to Videohead from the MTV Podcast Network. Next week, I'll be talking to Tamara Davis, the director of Half-Baked, Billy Madison, and Britney Spears' Crossroads, about her music videos for Eazy-E, Sonic Youth, Lou Reed, Bette Midler, Cher, and Beavis and Butthead. And a visit from internet funny man Patrick Monahan, a.k.a. at Patty Moe on Twitter. We'll be talking about a very weird Zach Brown band music video. That was our first episode of Videohead. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, please subscribe and give us a rating on iTunes. This episode of Videohead was produced by Mukta Mohan, Michael Catano, and Kasia Mihailovic for the MTV Podcast Network. The Videohead theme song is by Roxanne Clifford. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at MTV Podcasts. And subscribe to this and other MTV Podcasts wherever you find your favorite shows.